Welcome to the CSIS Cogit Asia podcast, where we think deeply and reflect on policy in Asia. I'm Colin Quinn. Today, we dig into Taiwan's politics and the landslide election of Dr. Tsai Ing-wen, Taiwan's first female president. We'll talk about the origin story of her party, the DPP, and we'll look at what the victory means for the future of Taiwan's economy. We'll also analyze how Tsai's leadership will affect the island's complicated diplomatic relationship with mainland China and the United States. To understand Taiwanese politics, we have to go back. Back to 1949 and Chiang Kai-shek's retreat from the mainland after the Chinese Civil War. Well, the Nationalist Party in Taiwan, which uh, was the party that was in power in 1949, came over from the mainland uh, and established itself uh, in Taiwan. At that time, uh, even in the early days uh, of KMT rule in Taiwan, there were uh, opponents of the regime. And those opponents of the regime were not Uh, legally allowed to operate. And so they were referred to as people who were outside the party, not part of the KMT. That's Bonnie Glazer, an expert on Taiwan politics who directs our China Power Project here at CSIS. We asked her to explain the traditional base of support for each party in Taiwan and describe the DPP's ideology. And it wasn't until 1986 that those people who were the opposition or people outside the party formed uh, officially and formally an opposition party that became known as the Democratic Progressive Party, the DPP. And then it wasn't until the year 2000 that the DPP was first elected to be the controlling government, and the president at that time was Chen Shui-bian, and the DPP ruled in that period for eight years. So the election just in January of this year of Tsai Ing-wen marks the second time that the DPP has been uh, in power in Taiwan. Uh, The DPP's ideology uh, has always been one of emphasizing uh, Taiwanese uh, nationalism, uh, Taiwan as a separate entity uh, from the PRC. Uh, It it is also emphasized uh, social uh, liberalism. Uh, and uh, progressive issues. So it's been a party of the people, whereas the KMT has always been associated, for example, with very large state-owned companies. The DPP has been associated with the small and medium uh, companies. Uh, The DPP has also traditionally had its support in uh, the labor groups, uh, the uh, groups in, in Taiwan who uh, tend to be more the working people uh, who are getting working uh, wages. Geographically, the support for the DPP has traditionally come from southern Taiwan, uh, to some extent uh, the central part of Taiwan, uh, whereas the northern part of Taiwan has always been dominated by KMT supporters. However, in this most recent election, of course, we saw that the DPP drew supporters uh, from really all around uh, the island, and that was really quite remarkable. Taiwan, as a predominantly ethnically Chinese democracy, has unique institutions. When DPP Secretary General Joseph Wu spoke at CSIS following Tsai Ing-wen's recent victory, 
He pointed to how solid the island's democratic processes are. Since the first direct presidential election in 1996, uh, we already have three turnovers of political power, and therefore Taiwan can generally be seen as a consolidated democracy. As the government of the United States, Japan, and many other countries congratulate the Taiwan people uh, for exercising their democratic rights to decide the government and the course of the country, the people in Taiwan also understand that this is the right they obtained after a long fight. Uh, Taiwan's democracy and its democratic way of life are what we are very proud of and would like to share with other people. Now, it's not the first time the DPP has won the presidency. As Bonnie Glazer mentioned, in 2000, a lawyer turned activist called Chen Shui Bian was elected and served two terms as president. However, his administration was racked by corruption charges and oversaw a rocky period in Taiwan's foreign affairs, particularly in its relations with its key ally, the U.S., so what lessons did the DPP learn from its first taste of power? Well, when Chen Shui-bian was in power, there were some policies that were pursued that were considered uh, to be rather provocative towards the mainland. Uh, and this was the judgment not just of people in the mainland, but also in the United States and some other countries. So, for example, holding a referendum on whether or not Taiwan should rejoin the United Nations was seen as something that was really quite uh, provocative. Uh, there was also a movement to change some of the history textbooks uh, in Taiwan so that Taiwanese history would be taught separately from that of overall Chinese history because it had always been integrated into one course. And this was also seen uh, by the mainland as provocative. They termed it part of a de-signification movement. So I think that there is a recognition on the part of people in uh, at least part of the DPP today. And the DPP is different factions. There are people who are um, more extreme and more radical. Um, there are those that are more moderate. Uh, I see the president-elect Tsai Ing-wen as part of that more moderate faction. Uh, but nevertheless, there is a general understanding in the in, in I think every member of the party that Taiwan should not be integrated into the mainland any time in the near future. Uh, and among the deep greens, uh, the radicals in the party, there is certainly uh, opposition to giving up the stance that Taiwan should be independent one day. Even if it, today it is only de facto independent, uh, there are definitely people in the party who want to be uh, de jure independent. But there is a learning process, I think, that has gone on that some of these actions that were taken in the past under Chen Shui-bian isolated Taiwan. They created uh, so much friction and tension uh, with Beijing and alienated the United States that this really did not ad advance uh, Taiwan's interest. So I expect that uh, under Tsai Ing-wen's rule uh, that there will not be those kinds of provocative steps that may be taken. Now, of course, ultimately, provocation is in the eye of the beholder. And I'm sure there will be some policies that Tsai Ing-wen pursues that she does not see as provocative. And perhaps the United States will see as not provocative, but the mainland might see as provocative. So this will be something that will be difficult to navigate going forward. So what should we expect from Tsai in office? DPP Secretary General Joseph Wu emphasized that economic issues are likely to see the most focus because they decided the election in January. We conduct 
regular surveys here in Taiwan, in Taiwan, trying to find out uh, what people are thinking before they go to the voting booths. And the regular surveys show that uh, people uh, care more, much more about uh, those issues that uh, they feel immediately related to their life, not necessarily on the political issues or sovereignty issues. And the issues we found uh, before this election that the people care very much about would include uh, general economic situation, food safety issues, long-term care, income distribution, housing cost, pension reform, and social housing. And consequently, if we focus too much on the cross-street relations, it might miss uh, the nuances in uh, the elections. And that view is shared by Bonnie Glazer. But Tsai Ing-wen has emphasized the need to improve Taiwan's economy, uh, make the economy more competitive, raise the standard of living, uh, and create new jobs. Uh, last year, uh, Taiwan grew at less than 1%. And uh, when Ma ying came into power, he had expected uh, that Taiwan's economic growth rate would be able to be sustained. Uh, and of course, some of this is a function of globalization, not just his policies, uh, but Taiwan does face a potential crisis with uh, one of its main competitors, for example, is South Korea. And so South Korea and Taiwan are very similar markets. And now South Korea has established free trade agreements with many countries around the world. And Taiwan has a free trade agreement with the mainland, but doesn't yet have one, of course, with the United States uh, or with uh, the European Union. And so Tsai Ing-wen wants to make Taiwan more competitive. Uh, she wants to even the benefits that have been gained from the growing economic relationship with the mainland, uh, which, uh, yes, there have been benefits for Taiwan, but it hasn't been spread very evenly around the population. So we've seen a growing of the gap between rich and poor. So she wants to provide more opportunities for the lower and, and working class. And uh, I, she also wants to provide uh, opportunities for diversifying Taiwan's markets, so not just rely uh, on the mainland, uh, but also to diversify to Southeast Asia and even India, which is actually something that uh, one of her predecessors, uh, Li Donghui, uh, tried early on. Uh, and, and that has proven to be very, very difficult. Even under Chen Shui-bian, uh, about 40% of Taiwan's exports went to the mainland Macau and Hong Kong. Today, Ma ying the KMT president, uh, has said that uh, under his eight years in office, that has actually diminished to 39%. It hasn't increased. Uh, but it is a fact, of course, that Taiwan is located very geographically close to the mainland and has benefited from that economic relationship. But her biggest challenge, I think, is liberalizing the economy in Taiwan, making it competitive enough so that when and if the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, is finally ratified in the U.S. and other countries and comes into being, that Taiwan can uh, potentially join in the, next, uh, in the next round. One of the big concerns remains the possible flashpoint across the Taiwan Strait between the People's Republic of China and the Republic of China, otherwise known as Taiwan. In November 2015, 
A historic meeting took place in Singapore between outgoing Taiwanese President Ma Ying-jeou of the KMT and Chinese President Xi Jinping. While the meeting was largely symbolic, it showed the progress Taipei has made in its relations with Beijing. Yet Beijing has expressed clear concern about DPP leadership in the past, fearing that the island might declare independence. So what will relations between mainland China and Taiwan look like in the near term? Tsai Ing-wen spoke about her position on cross-strait dynamics during her visit to CSIS last July. Now on cross-strait, I am also committed to a consistent, predictable and sustainable relationship with China. Cross-strait relations must be considered in a long-term context. Since Taiwan's democratization, we have had three democratically elected presidents and a strong social will forged by numerous democracy movements. Freedom and democracy are values deeply ingrained in the hearts of the Taiwanese people. The president elected by the people of Taiwan represents all the people of Taiwan in conducting external affairs. Therefore, the conduct of cross-strait policy must transcend the position of a political party and incorporate different views. A leader must take into account public consensus when making decisions. We do have a broad consensus in Taiwan, that is maintenance of the status quo. I have articulated and reiterated my position of maintaining the status quo in the previous months, as I believe this serves the best interests of all parties concerned. Therefore, if elected, I will push for peaceful and stable development of cross-strait relations in accordance with the will of the Taiwanese people and the existing ROD constitutional order. The two sides of the Taiwan Strait should treasure and secure the accumulated outcomes of more than 20 years of negotiations and exchanges. These accumulated outcomes will serve as a firm basis of my effort to further the peaceful and stable development of cross-strait relations. I will also push for the legislation of cross-strait agreement oversight bill to establish a comprehensive set of rules for overseeing the cross-strait exchanges and negotiations. The cross-strait agreements which are currently under negotiation or legislative review will be re-examined and further negotiated according to the new rules. Last, but most importantly, I will also strengthen our democratic institutions and uphold the rights of the people to decide their future, their future free of coercion. While I advocate for constructive exchanges and dialogues with China, I will ensure the process is democratic and transparent and that the economic benefits are equitably shared. Joseph Wu argues that stability and peace is the prime objective for the DPP. Well, our objective in um, our cross-strait relations or the relations between Taiwan and mainland is to uh, safeguard peace and stability in between the two sides. And in order for us to safeguard peace and stability in between the two sides, the guiding principle always is to maintain the status quo. 
in, uh, for the status quo to be viable, for the status quo to be very peaceful and stable. I think we need to uh, work on some specific issues, uh, issues like what you just mentioned. Uh, I think the um, interactions or the trade in between Taiwan and China is normal. And I think it's going to be conducive to a peaceful and stable relations. And we would like to uh, continue uh, the uh, negotiations or engagement on trade issues or on other issues. But in order for the people to understand that the negotiations or engagement in between the two sides is uh, conducive to Taiwan's own economic de development or conducive to uh, peaceful development of the cross-strait relations, we need to handle it in a more transparent way. And we also need to have uh, some guiding principles or rules and norms to govern the negotiations in between the two sides. Uh, I'm sure we all remember what happened in the March uh, 2014, the Sunflower Movement. I think the people reacted uh, to the uh, cross-strait uh, negotiations or agreement, not because of the agreement per se, but because of the way the negotiations were being handled and ratification process being handled. And therefore, we need to uh, consider the negotiations or ratification process in, uh, with a background that we need to handle in a more transparent way. And I think adopting the uh, Cross-Trade Agreement Oversight Bill is absolutely necessary for us to conduct the negotiations with China with the rules set up by the oversight bill. And with the oversight bill uh, set up all those uh, rules and uh, norms for us to conduct the trade negotiations or other type of negotiations with China, I think it should uh, have uh, less, much less problems in uh, making people feel uh, worried whether the government is setting out Taiwan uh, or any similar kind of uh, connotation. However, China's foreign minister, Wang Yi, highlighted the differences in outlook between the two sides following the DPP victory when he spoke at CSIS in late February. Well, this is China's internal affair, so it's not in my purview or responsibilities. But let me say it's just a change of government in Taiwan. It's a result of electoral politics. It's something natural. It should not come as too big a surprise. We do not care that much who is in power in the Taiwan region of China. What we care about is once someone has come into power, how he or she handles the cross-states relationship, whether he or she will maintain the peaceful development of cross-states relations, whether he or she will recommit to the political foundation of cross-states relations. The one China principle. This is what we care about. There is still some time to the handover of power, which will come on May the 20th. I hope and expect that before that time comes, the person in power in Taiwan will indicate that she wants to pursue the peaceful development of cross-strait relations and that she will accept the provision in Taiwan's own constitution that the mainland and Taiwan belong to one the same China. She is elected on the basis of the current constitution of Taiwan, which still recognizes the mainland and Taiwan as one the same China. It would be difficult to imagine that someone who is elected on the basis of that constitution should try to do anything in violation of Taiwan's own constitution if she should 
attempt to do that. The international community will not accept it. The mainland of China will not accept it. And the people in Taiwan will not accept it. Because they want to see the continued peaceful development of cross-strait relations. They want to see more mainland visitors. They want to pursue more business ties with the mainland. And they want to live in a climate of peace and tranquility. The next government in Taiwan must think about these issues in a serious way. So with so many moving parts to consider, we asked Bonnie Glazer to describe possible trajectories for cross-strait relations during the Tsai presidency. Much of how Taipei, Beijing and Washington will interact will be shaped by perceptions on each side. Well, I think that the best case scenario would be if uh, Tsai Ing-wen can uh, agree on a new formulation with the mainland that would keep cross-strait relations stable going into the future. So under Ma Ying-jeou, that formulation was essentially the 1992 consensus where uh, both sides from the mainland and the KMT negotiated an agreement in 1992 that there is essentially one China. Taiwan would call it the Republic of China. The mainland would call it the People's Republic of China. But they would agree that there was one China. And on that basis, they opened... Uh, historically uh, new forms of communications uh, directly between governments. They agreed to have direct flights, uh, which was implemented early on in uh, Ma Ying-jeou's first term in office. And uh, there were many different channels of uh, cooperation uh, that opened and that culminated in what you mentioned really was the meeting between Xi Jinping and, uh, and Ma Ying-jeou. So one possibility is that there is a, a new formulation that replaces the 1992 consensus that both sides are able to live with. Perhaps they have their own interpretation. Maybe it's an ambiguous formula as the 1992 consensus is. And we've seen in recent days that uh, Tsai Ing-wen gave uh, an interview with the Liberty Times where she talked about the existing political foundation between the two sides of the strait. So her definition of that existing political foundation um, includes uh, several things, including respecting the will of the, of the Taiwan people. It includes uh, uh, also respecting the Republic of China constitution. Um, and it recognizes that the many decades of talks, dialogues between the two sides of the strait going back to 1992 have produced some results and should be the basis of uh, the relationship going forward. So they should be treasured or cherished and secured. Whereas on the mainland side, uh, the existing political foundation is the 1992 consensus and opposition to Taiwan independence. But it appears that what Dr. Tsai is trying to do is create this new formulation. Uh, it remains to be seen whether this is acceptable to the mainland. But I, I, I think uh, what we will see between now and the May 20th inauguration is an effort by uh, Tsai Ing-wen to try and come up with some formulation and, and we'll just see if the mainland is willing willing to play that game uh, because ultimately Beijing does need to have a stable cross-strait relationship too, although of course it would like that relationship to be on its terms. So one, the best possible outcome really is 
that they have some new formulation and all of the existing cooperation and communication mechanisms uh, remain open. Uh, In in a uh, very negative scenario, uh, we could have the mainland start to put a lot of pressure on Tsai Ing-wen because she is not agreeing to the formulation that they want. Uh, We already see some indications of that. Uh, The mainland has uh, uh, cut some tourists that are going to Taiwan, which is going to hurt Taiwan's economy. They may go further. They may start to steal away some of Taiwan's diplomatic allies. And and some of those allies would like to establish diplomatic relations with the PRC. So they're sort of pushing on an open door. It's a question of whether Xi Jinping wants to break this tacit diplomatic truce that he agreed upon with Ma Yingzhou. And if he does that, then I think that there could be a lot of pressure on Tsai Ing-wen to do something in response. And that could create a negative um, action-reaction cycle uh, that could be very, very negative. And uh, that could create a environment in which uh, the relationship in the two sides of the strait really could be set back for a number of years. And we could see growing tensions, even military pressure uh, from uh, the mainland uh, as well. Uh, so so that's, a, that's, that's a negative uh, scenario. Um, I guess the, the th- third possibility that, um, that occurs to me is that Tsai Ing-wen takes a few steps that are seen by the mainland as negative, but the United States does not really see them as too provocative. Uh, In in that kind of situation, the United States really might be siding with Taiwan against mainland coercion, which would be very different than what we saw in the Chanshrebian era, where the United States was really sort of coordinating with the mainland to try and and prevent Taiwan from doing something that was so provocative that it could have created a real crisis. So the real issue is how Tsai Ing-wen is going to behave and how the U.S. then perceives that and the impact that has on uh, how the mainland and Taiwan and the U.S. then whether – who's working together with whom. And that will uh, indicate what the shape of the triangle will be in the future. What about economic relations with the United States? Taiwan's quest for greater international space and economic growth may depend not only on its ability to restructure its economy, but also on its success in finding partners to negotiate trade agreements and access markets. The U.S. is near the top of the list for a trade and investment agreement. Bonnie Glazer explains the hurdles and how these challenges may affect Taiwan's entry into the Trans-Pacific Partnership, or TPP. The U.S. and Taiwan have had some problems in the economic relationship that need to be addressed. Uh, And the negotiations that have been part of the trade and investment framework agreement or the TIFA uh, agreement between the U.S. and Taiwan have really been stuck uh, because of disagreements primarily over agricultural goods. And there was some progress under Ma Ying-jeou's administration, but now things are really stuck again. And they are really about the issue of whether or not Taiwan will import uh, pork and beef that are treated with a chemical called ractopamine. And this chemical is used in the United States and there have been scientific studies that prove that it is not harmful to human beings. 
but there are some parts of the world, not only Taiwan, but also in Europe, for example, uh, they refuse to import ractopamine treated uh, beef from the United States. So this is not just an issue that Taiwan faces. But because of the fact that Taiwan is so dependent on the United States, I think the U.S. feels it has a lot of leverage over Taiwan and really has been unwilling to uh, talk seriously about other aspects of this uh, TIFA agreement until we solve this pork and beef uh, issue. And so Dr. Tsai has indicated, at least during the campaign, that she might consider accepting the uh, scientific basis of uh, beef and pork that are treated with ractopamine in very, very small quantities. Uh, but there has been a very strong reaction from particularly the pork industry in, uh, in Taiwan. So we'll have to see how this issue is going to be handled going forward. But it, it, it remains an obstacle to creating a much more robust U.S.-Taiwan economic relationship, including uh, helping Taiwan to eventually get into the Trans-Pacific uh, Partnership. So this is one issue between the U.S. and Taiwan that must be dealt with. The outlook in general for Taiwan's democracy following Tsai Ing-wen's historic victory is positive but she'll face an array of challenges in trying to facilitate economic growth while managing complex diplomatic relations. Here at CSIS, we'll continue to track the status of cross-strait relations and President Tsai's progress. And that's our show for this week. podcast was written and produced by Jeff Bean and edited by Lauren Abuali. We'll be back with more next week, so until then, you can check out cogitage.com and CSS.org for more.